Hey, it's the Baldy Bishops. Hey, Matt. Hey, Alan. <laughs> I know what you're going to bring up. Yeah. So I'm not excited about it. No. We're just going to discuss your being beat in Mario Kart. Well, you you did all right. I mean, you finished you, you finished behind Trevi and I in every race, but like not far behind. Close. But I think your wife let you down there. Yeah. Well, against Victoria and Ray. We, we lost... Really, she lost. She lost on your behalf. Yeah. Yeah. This, but I heard you guys prayed on the way there about <laughs> not being competitive or really competitive. Did it come across okay? Did, you, was, did all right. Was did all right. Trevi and you kind of take it hard sometimes when you don't win. So. <laughs> uh, yeah, on the, on the way there, we were saying, uh, you know, let's let's like, let's like not be over competitive and let's uh, <laughs> let everyone else enjoy it, even if we're not. <laughs> so we anticipated the loss a little bit, yeah. being honest. So they got the... Uh, we 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 bought a little uh, trophy from Amazon. That's uh, Mario Kart chaps. So they've won it. They've won it every time so far. But there you go. So segue into Thessalonians one. <laughs> uh, my joy and crying. Right. Says that's... let's drive right into Thessalonians. <laughs> uh, we, yeah. Last night we started Thessalonians in this gospel community, one another and stuff. Uh, and then there's only going to be two messages in that. So God willing, we'll finish next week. Mm-hmm. Um. But very quick recap on the Thessalonians. Paul and Silas visited them in Acts 17. They'd just been from Philippi. Remember, they got beat up in prison in stocks in Philippi. And then the next day they leave, end up in Thessalonica. Uh, it says in chapter 17, a lot of people came to Christ, especially the Greeks. Um, but a lot of Jewish people rejected the gospel and there was a kind of a riot in the city. Um, they made a new believer called Jason pay like a deposit or a pledge that there'd be no more trouble caused by the Christians. <clears throat> So Paul and Silas are like, right, we have to go. So after three weeks of being in Thessalonica, they have to leave. Um, according to this letter, they're like brokenhearted by it. And they're, you know, Paul's so worried. So he sends Timothy to see how the Christians are doing. Timothy comes back and he's like, yeah, they're doing really well, actually. Their, their faith, their hope, and their love is great. There's some areas of weakness that they need strengthening in. And so Paul writes this letter, probably one of the earliest letters um, that he wrote. Yeah. That's decent summary. I think so. Of the letter to the Thessal- first letter to the Thessalonians. So we're we're looking at the high uh, gospel community, Thessalonians. What did I? Is that, oh, Thessal- <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> we know our stuff here on the body bishops. <laughs> yeah, uh, Thessalonians. Um, it's, it's right here on the notes. Um, so, yeah, gospel community. Where does gospel community come from, Matt? What have we been said? It's really the name of the book, mate. <laughs> gospel community comes from gospel truth. So gospel truth leads to our gospel identity. And when we get a grasp of our gospel identity, that leads to our gospel practice. And when everyone's practicing the gospel, then it creates a gospel community. Amen. So uh, what we've been wanting to do every time we've done one of these letters is we don't want to just say, here's what you need to do. Because if we start just doing those things, what we create actually is legalism and moralism. Mm-hmm. So we want everything we do to to be, as you said in the Colossian stuff, moved by the gospel, um, propelled by the gospel. So the gospel is our motivation, our driving uh, us to live this way. So uh, gospel identity, just some of the gospel identity stuff that appears in 
the letter to the Thessalonians. <laughs> so, uh, chapter one, verse one, God is your father. And you know, that's, that's actually a really profound truth. You know, he's not just our creator. He's our, he's our father now through the Lord Jesus Christ and what he's done for us. So that's a gospel truth, actually, that we have God as a father who loves Absolutely. us. Yeah. The gospel truth is verse one is again, grace to you and peace from God, our father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Um, so because of God's grace through Christ, we're now in a harmonious relationship with him and others, which is peace. Mm. Um, so this grace comes from them and, and then this peace is a result. Or it's said again, the gospel begins with God's work on our behalf and it results in a transformation of our relationships, mm. God and others. We didn't really talk about it, but in Colossians 1, it talks about him making peace uh, through the blood of this groom, mm. you know. It's beautiful. And that transcends into our uh, walk with yeah. God as well. These are not just little, you, you should spend a long time on the first one of the letters because it's beautiful truth that we just skip across. Mm-hmm. Verse four, beloved brethren, and then your election by God. So lots of arguing about election and chosen, but whatever your position on that stuff is, if you're in Christ, you're elect of God. Elect, yeah. you know? yeah. So we can all say amen and bank on that beautiful truth. We're precious um, treasure possessions. Uh, and in verse 10, we're waiting for Jesus. He's risen from the dead. And then Jesus has gone back to deliver us from the wrath to come. So mm. beautiful gospel realities there. And I love, if you want to get verse 13 of chapter two, uh, I, I love the end of verse 13. And we also thank God constantly for this, that when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it not as the word of men, but as it is as, as what it really is, the word of God, which is at work in you believers. Okay. Um, or in the New King James, it says, effectively works in you who believe. So um, the, the the word of God that they were preaching in that space of three weeks is the gospel, right? So they're preaching the gospel. Um, they, they heard the gospel. And then look what it says. It's the gospel which effectively works in you who believe. It doesn't say work. It says it effectively works in you who believe. So you have this powerful... Uh, word of God, the gospel message alive and kicking in you, mm. um, effectively working in you to produce Christ likeness in you. So that is some of the gospel truths and the gospel identity reality of the Thessalonians and of us as well. So today we're going to look at uh, three of the one another's in Thessalonians. We're not going to cover all of them. We'll do that hopefully next week, but we're going to cover the first three. And that one of the things to notice about what happens when he's writing to these guys is all three times he says, I know you're already doing this, but I'm I'm praying and I'm urging you to grow in these areas that you're already doing well in, which is just really interesting. Like you've already got it, but grow into it even more. Mm-hmm. So, so the first one is to grow in their love for one another. And that's in chapter three, verse 12 to verse 13, if you could grab that one. Yeah. And may the Lord make you increase and abound in love to one another and to all, just as we do to you, so that he may establish your hearts blameless in holiness before our God and Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ with all his saints. All right, so so Paul prays, which means the Holy Spirit is inspiring Paul to write this prayer, and the Spirit always prays in the will of the Father. So this is what the Father wants, okay? Verse 12 to 13 is what the Father, uh, your Father, God the Father, wants for his, his people. So his prayer is, that the believers would increase and abound or excessively overflow in love to one another mm. and to all. Now, what's amazing 
is in chapter one, verse three, and in chapter three, verse six, it's said that they actually already have this love. So chapter one, verse three, we heard about your faith and your love. Uh, chapter three, verse six, Timothy came back to report about your love. So they already have this love. And yet Paul prays here that it would grow more and more. Um, but he says at the end of verse 12, just as we do to you. So what Paul said is we want you guys to love one another the same way that mm. we loved you. Mm. So what that causes us to do is to ask the question, well, how did Paul love the Thessalonians for that three weeks that he was there? And the answer to that is found back in chapter two. So we'll go back to chapter two and see uh, how Paul loved the, the Thessalonian believers. So we'll start with verse six of chapter two. At the end of it, it says, we might have made demands as apostles of Christ. So Paul and, and the others, they have this authority and this power from God that they could have used to demand certain things from the new Thessalonian believers. And then we get verse seven, but. So if you can get verse seven to verse eight. But we were gentle among you, just as a nurse mother's cherish, just as a nursing mother cherishes her own children. So affectionately longing for you, we were well pleased to impart to you not only the gospel of God, but also our own lives because you had become dear to us. Right. So this is the illustration Paul gives of a wet nurse with an infant. So this wet nurse wouldn't have actually been the mother, but she would have breastfed the, the baby. Um, and he says, we, we, we treated you like that. We were gentle. Uh, we were, it could be translated, we were kind, soothing, and mild towards you. The, the idea of mild being not hot temperature, but a mild temperature towards you. Mm-hmm. Um, we, we, we cherished you, he goes on to say, as, as your own children. So we were warm and brooding uh, over you. We affectionately longed for you. We, were, we desired to be with you and near you. And at the anniversary, uh, you were dear to us, which mm-hmm. is the same language when God, when God the Father says of Jesus, this is my beloved son and whom I delight. You're, you're dearly loved. You're, you were objects of special affection to us. So what a, what a, we had power in verse six to make demands of you, but instead we were gentle, kind, soothing, mild, cherishing, warm and brooding, affectionate and treating you as objects of special affection. Mm-hmm. This is really beautiful, isn't it? Yeah. So that's the first illustration. And then verse 11 is the second one. Of chapter two. Yeah. Okay. Um, as you know, how we exhorted and comforted and charged every one of you as a father does his own children. Right. So I'm not yet a dad. You're a father of two, um, soon to be two teenagers. <laughs> when you said soon to be, it almost like sounded like we had one on the way. I was like, it's news to me. <laughs> and uh, so, you know, when it says this, obviously you have your, your bad days and you need to repent, but on your good days, what does verse 11, as a father does his children, this idea of exhorting and comforting and charging your, your boys. Yeah. On, on, on the, on the good days, you, you hope that you're, um, that they, they feel loved, that they feel cared for, that they feel, um, like they can come to you when they need to, uh, like you're investing in their lives. Yeah. Yeah. And that, that, you know, that word for exhortation, we, we put our arms around you, we came alongside you. So we were apostles. We could have spoke down to you, mm. but we actually came alongside you yeah. instead. Yeah, we we comforted you. We encouraged and consoled you. We charged you. We solemnly appealed to you. Yeah. So that's this fatherly love that he that he has for these Thessalonian believers. Mm. And then we get verse seventeen. So if you want to grab that one, yeah, uh, verse seventeen. But we brethren, having been taken away from you for a short time in presence 
not in heart, endeavor more eagerly to see your face with great desire. Okay, that word taken away um, can be li- is literally translated, we were made orphans. And not in the sense that we lost our parents, but in the sense of we lost our children. We, we, yous were snatched from us. You, we were torn away from one another. Uh, and it can be translated, we were bereaved of you. Um, so you just see here, Paul's heart is with these people. Yet, and he has a great desire and, and he put an eager effort to see them again, although it didn't work out for them. So you just see here in chapter two, this this great love that Paul and, and the rest of the team had for these believers, this love for God that he expressed in his love for these people. And again, just bear in mind, he has authority and power from God, verse six, but he didn't use that authority in an ugly, deceitful, or unkind way. He, he was gentle, tender, kind, affectionate, loving, fatherly, and comforting. So if, if Paul the apostle, with all of his power and authority was like this, what does that mean for for you and I in, in the church as pastors even? Mm. Yeah. yeah. I mean, you think about Paul. Uh, he was, he was, he's like one of the last MOGs, if you know what I mean. Uh, like the <laughs> man, man of God, you know, the Old Testament prophet, you know, you think about uh, Elijah, um, you know, like sending she-bears on the people who made fun of his boldness and just anyone listening that's tempted to make bold <laughs> jokes about us remember that. Uh, but you always think of that in, in terms of like the, the, the men of God, so to speak. Yeah. Um, and you'd almost expect that of, of him, but in terms of us as pastors, um, we, we still have a place of authority in the church. Uh, so there's always a temptation, I think, for anyone who's in any position of authority to feel like they have um, a leg up on someone else yeah. Yeah. To, to take that authority and um, and corrupt the authority that Christ has given to us. It's like the old adage is an um, absolute authority corrupts absolutely. Yeah. And there's always that temptation. Yeah. But to emulate what Paul is saying here is mm-hmm. to take that authority and see it as a privilege mm-hmm. and use it in a loving, caring, uh, nurturing way. Yeah. And, and that's what they would have thought of. So when they, when they read chapter three, love as we loved you, and then in chapter two is what they would have pictured mm-hmm. that three weeks of tender, loving, warm. Yeah. Um, so it really, you know, in any position of leadership, whether you're the Sunday school leader or the music person or the, the, the guy behind the sound desk or whatever it is, and you have to speak to people and lead people, may you never be uh, unkind, ungentle, or demeaning because Paul, the apostle who had authority and power, was not. And within the church, you know, a church family, we're not just looking for gifts and skills. We're looking more importantly for Christ-like character and how others are treated by you. Mm. And, and and then it goes on to say in chapter three, uh, not just that you would grow in this love to one another, but to all. Mm. So that's at work, it's at, at home, at school, at uni, amongst your neighbors. This is how we're called to live. Not throwing your weight around, not misusing people or domineering or bullying, not harsh or uncaring or arrogant or boastful or pushy. But as, as Jesus calls us to be, as gentle as doves. That's how we're called to be. Um, so now, now watch what happens here as we go to verse 13 of chapter three. So grow in love for one another, right? And for all, so that he may establish your hearts blameless in holiness before our God and Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. This really caught me, verse 13, really like, I'm like, what, what, what what's he saying here? Um, when we when we use the word holy, we talked about it last night. What kind of comes to our mind when we use the word holy? I think primarily um, moral, being morally upstanding. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, th- I think that's primarily what we think of. Yeah, someone who 
uh, does their devotions every day, who prays every day, who's a good witness, who attends church faithfully. Mm-hmm. And all these things are good. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Like we've talked about it before on this. Like these are these are good things. But as you see what's happening here, it's verse 12, as your love grows for one another, verse 13, so he may establish your hearts blameless in holiness. Mm-hmm. And, and what we see then is that that our as our love for each other grows and grows, God is then establishing or strengthening us to live more and more blameless and holy lives before him as we wait for Jesus' return. Mm-hmm. What, we, what we're seeing then is holiness is fulfilled in love for one another or growing love equals growing holiness. Mm. What, what does that mean about holiness in the individualistic Western life? Um, yeah, it's, it's totally different. Yeah, it's, it's, it's a completely different concept because you're telling me that growing in love is equal to holiness. Right. So increasing in love equals holiness. <laughs> so yeah so Jesus and me or Jesus and my family Christianity that's not growing in holiness growing in holiness is growing in love for one another and for all so if, if you put 12 verse 12 and verse 13 together holiness is only ever realized and expressed in gospel community wow. and, uh, so Paul prays I pray your love grows more and more so that you grow more and more holy and blameless in your lives now as we know they're already holy because they've trusted in Jesus as Savior, right? They're mm. positionally holy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And this is a this is a holiness of practically living it out in, in your Christian life. Mm. So the Spirit of God is now working in them, renewing their desires and their values and their concerns. So they become holy in practice just as they are in their mm. position in relationship to God. And, and as that happens, I won't sin against you anymore. You know, the crazy thing is, I mean, how many, how many, how many sermons have we done on this so far on Wednesday nights? Like 30, 40 some on gospel community. Mm-hmm. And it's like, it's there. All, and we're just making our way through the New Testament. It's already just gospel community. Yeah. So so all of the stuff that we're looking at is impossible to do any of that mm-hmm. in an individualistic setting. Yeah. So if, if it's just the whole personalized, just me and Jesus, just Jesus and me, like, I don't know what the percentage is, but I'm, I'm anticipating like, 75, 80% of the New Testament is impossible. Yeah. So yeah, God has commanded yeah. me to something that I can't do. Absolutely. Yeah. It's not the body with me. Yeah. That's good. So that's the first one is that we want to increase and abound in love to one another and to all so that we actually live more blameless holy lives before God, <clears throat> um, who's already made us holy positionally, <clears throat> but is working to make us holy uh, practically and <clears throat> when we live our lives. It's good, man. All right, so the second one is in chapter four. And it's, uh, you know, when we think about holiness, one of the things that often comes to people's minds is sexual purity. And that's, yeah, that's, and what we're going to find in this is a quite an interesting thing about how sexual purity is actually, it affects the gospel community. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. Uh, but we see this abounding stuff again. So verse one, uh, we've urged and exhorted the Lord Jesus to abound more and more in, in the way you're walking and pleasing God. So abounding this more. What is it? Verse three, uh, being free from sexual sin, abstaining from sexual morality and using your body in an honorable way. Verse four. But notice what verse six says. It says that no one should take advantage of and defraud his brother mm. in this matter. Mm. So what, what we're seeing here, what Paul's trying to do is he's trying to show the Thessalonians that sexual sin is not just a moral failure. It's not just damaging to the reputation of the church. It's actually a breakdown of the gospel community. That's what he wants to show them in verse six, that even this sin, which is so individual and so done in the dark, 
is it affects the gospel community. Um, so lust is not just an individualistic sin. Fornication and adultery is not just a sin between two people. Um, instead, it affects your brother and your, and your sisters in Christ. Um, so you defraud your brother or sister in Christ by lusting or committing adultery with their wife or husband, um, or your, your brother or sister in Christ. You defraud your brother and sister in Christ by lusting or sleeping with their daughter or son before marriage. Mm-hmm. And Paul's trying to bring it in. Mm-hmm. The sexual sin is actually a gospel community issue. Um, God counts that as serious in verse 6 um, and says mm-hmm. this is a way to be holy in verse 7. So, yeah. Yeah, it's 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 powerful when you really think about the implications of it because because every child of God, brother and sister in Christ, um, is the object of Christ's delight. So Christ looks down and gazes with delight mm. upon your brother or your sister. And really, when we when we make our brother or sister the object of our sin, lust in this instance or fornication, mm-hmm. then what we're doing is we're we're robbing them in in a sense, we're robbing them of the delight that Christ is sending on them, and we're substituting that with lust or fornication yeah. or adultery. Yeah. And it's that's defrauding, isn't it? Yeah. It's like underhanded in some ways. Yeah. And you're also defrauding that person's husband or wife. Yeah. By lusting. Yeah. So you're 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 lusting after for the man after another woman. If that if that's your brother in Christ's wife, you're defrauding you're exploiting mm-hmm. and misusing him is what this is saying. Mm-hmm. Or if that's your brother in Christ's daughter, you know, mm-hmm. um, say you're 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 dating you're not married, you're dating a you're dating a girl, you're dating a boy, um, and you're sleeping together before marriage, you're defrauding your that that brother in Christ who's her dad or mm-hmm. her mom. Mm-hmm. That's what this is saying here. It's not yeah. just your individualistic sin. It's not just a sin between the two of you. You're exploiting your family in Christ by mm-hmm. sinning in this way. That's good. So Paul Paul raises it up and calls it a gospel community issue in verse mm-hmm. six. Um beautifully though, if if you're someone who's struggling with sexual sin, verse eight tells us that this is a command of God. But it says at the end of our seat, who has also given us his Holy Spirit. So why why do you think Paul tells us he's given us the Holy Spirit? Because he knows he knows how pos- how impossible it is to do this without the Holy Spirit. Yeah. The, the flesh alone is going to do more of this, not less of this. Yeah, right. So the Holy Spirit living within us is able to yeah. conquer and have the victory. Yeah, and, and, I'll, and I'll tell you, like b- before before I was a believer, um, I remember when I was a teenager. And I used to think I was going to clean myself up. And then when I cleaned myself up, I'd find God in some way. Mm. And I, I remember the, the the toil and the angst of like trying to do it myself mm-hmm. and just failing over and over and over again. Yeah. And and then just wanting it mm. all the time. And, yeah. And do you know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. It's so beautiful to know that he hasn't given us this commandment and walked away yeah. and rejects us because we feel in this area but he's given us the holy spirit that's a gospel truth that propels our gospel obedience in this area that, that, that and we don't just have hope as as believers we don't just have hope for uh the, the return of christ and the new jerusalem like we we have we have hope and temptation mm-hmm. whereas we didn't have it before because mm-hmm. we were helpless and hopeless mm-hmm. but now we we do have hope that in temptation the holy spirit is yielding the ability to resist temptation yeah yeah and that's why he says that in verse eight because that's the end of the that's the end of his flow of thought there in verse eight, and he finishes it with, "You guys have got the Holy Spirit living in you, mm. <laughs> enabling you to live this way, uh, that pleases God, that's a good testimony to the world around you, 
but also honors your family in Christ, honors that dad, honors that husband, honors that wife, honors that mother, and, um, which is what you would want to do as their brother or sister in Christ. We can't do it on our own. All right, and the, the final one just comes immediately after that, chapter 4, verse 9 to 12. So we're, we're, we're going to abound in... Uh, loving one another, chapter three, we're going to abound in walking and pleasing God and honoring one another sexually. And then verse nine to 12 here, we're going to abound in familial affection for one another. So if you grab verse nine okay. of chapter four. And, but concerning brotherly love, you have no need that I should write to you. For you yourselves are taught by God to love one another. Right. So the word love here is different. So we had agape in chapter three. Uh, this unconditional sacrificial love we're called to have for one another. This is a different word, uh, Philadelphia, which is familial affection for one another. And so it's not just, oh, I love you, but I don't like you. Actually, we're commanded to like each other too, <laughs> to, to warmly be familial, uh, have familial affection for one another. So he says, I don't need to write to you guys about this because God's already taught you that. And, and in verse 10, the start of it says, and indeed you do so toward all the brethren here in all Macedonia. So the, these these Thessalonian, Thessalonian believers, whatever, are are already loving, uh, show, showing this familial affection to all the believers in this whole country of Macedonia. Mm-hmm. So Jew and Gentile, slave and free, rich and poor, male and female, are all being treated with warmth and and and, and joy and gladness and goodness. It's beautiful, right? Mm-hmm. But the end of verse ten says, "But we urge you, brethren, that you increase more and more." Man. So grow in what you've already got. Once again, grow in this more and more. Um, now, Paul goes on to tell us in verse 11 to 12, some of the ideas of what that looks like. He tells us he doesn't need to write about it. So it implies that he's not going to tell us everything about what this is going to look like. But he gives us a small hint in, in verse 11 and verse 12. So if you can grab verse 11. Now that you also aspire to lead a quiet life, to mind your own business, and to work with your own hands as we commanded you, that you may walk properly toward those that are outside and that you may lack nothing. Right. So this aspiring to this ambition that we are called to have as Christians is simply to live a quiet, peaceful life, a decent member of society, a decent person on your street, decent student in the classroom, decent part of the family at home, decent person in the workplace and at church, just just seeking to live a quiet, peaceful life. Um, and then it says, mind in your own business and not meddling and interfering in other people's things in an ugly, gossipy way. Mm. Um, not encouraging or creating divisions and factions at church or in society mm. is is what this is all saying here. So, um, you know, and working with your own hands, so working to, if, you, if you're able to, to, to make a living. Um, now, when it says mind your own business... And then, it, but then we're seeing all these other commandments about love one another and serve and admonish and care. How how do you does mind your own business? Just say like, okay, I'll see you Sunday then because I'm going to mind my own business. What what are we doing with all this here? No, because um, we, we were talking about the two extremes, weren't we? Yeah. Last night, which is there, there's meddling, mm-hmm. um, and then there's there's isolationism. So, so I I, th- I think I think the key is intent. So what what the Bible's calling us to is to operate from a place of love. Yeah. And even right here. So there's a judgmental and critical eye, mm-hmm. which uh, lacks love, right. is only self-serving. And then there's like a loving, constructive eye, mm-hmm. um, yeah. where you, the, the point of reaching into their lives is to serve them. That's good, man. So 
So there's a difference between putting the interests of others first and then this itch to interfere in their lives. And then there's also the two extremes, like you said, of, well, I'll just mind my own business and have nothing to do with you until Sunday morning mm. where, where I say hello to you and then I'll see you next Sunday morning and say hello. Yeah, uh, That's not right. But also so is uh, this this fleshly meddling. Yeah. So, But what's amazing is that in verse 13, it tells our first 12, it says, if we live that way, just living a quiet life, just getting on with our own business, not meddling, but being loving, then it says in verse 12, we walk properly to those who are outside. We just, mm. we live a life of, we live a good testimony to the world around us because yeah. the world around us loves the drama, mm. loves the tension, loves the falling out, loves the gossip, loves interfering and meddling. Mm. And we in our flesh love that too. But if we, as we grow in our, in our Philadelphia, as we grow in our familial affection for one another, we'll not interfere and meddle, but we will care and serve mm. uh, one another. So, so in other words, when, when we operate like a good loving family, then we're, we're actually preaching the gospel to the world. Yeah, that's good. So some of the things this looks like in the not meddling, but being being someone who cares, liberty and preference issues, mm-hmm. letting your brother have his liberty and not meddling in that. Um, small scruples and personality quirks, just accepting that that's, you know, love covers a multitude of sins in those areas. Not going around looking for things to correct and finding fault in each other. And again, not talking about people behind their backs, including, mm-hmm. well, we really need to pray for such and such a person. At that moment, you're meddling and interfering. You're not minding your business um, and you've strayed too far uh, into the meddling area. So yeah, we're, we're called to grow in this uh, familial affection for one another more and more. So, so can I just say before? Mm. So, so it, it, was, it was astounding to, to hear that my holiness is contingent upon growing in love mm. for my for my brothers but you have i think i've kind of right four times here it talks about abounding and growing more and more so so that tells me that i cannot grow the level of maturity as a christian disconnected from the body yeah as i can connected to the body yeah so so, so my actual personal growth and maturity maturity level as a Christian it, it has to take place yeah among it's, my brothers and sisters yeah it's contingent upon a vibrant relationship with the family of Christ yeah and it's expressed your maturity is expressed in the body that's that's where you express your growth or maturity yeah so uh, three times Paul tells the Thessalonians that they're already doing something but he prays and calls them to abound in it even more Abound in loving one another sacrificially and unconditionally. Abound in honoring one another in all areas, including sexual sin. And abound in showing each other familial affection. And the reason that we can abound is because God is a God of abundance. He overflows to us in mercy. He gives us the spirit without measure. He gives generously. He lavishes grace upon us. He's rich in love. And he calls us to enter into experiencing all of that. And then for that to overflow in our lives and how we treat one another is we allow the gospel to effectively work its work in us by the Spirit. Mm. I was with Mick this morning, and, uh, and, I, and I was talking about that uh, here at the Love Song, and it says, uh, Grace and love like mighty rivers poured incessant from wow. above. And, um, and the reality is um, it's still pouring incessantly. Yeah. He's yeah. just pouring and pouring and pouring and abounding. On us over and over again. And that's where we get our abounding from. Our sources. We receive and then we give. If we're not receiving, we can't give it. So 
yeah, love is fast as the ocean. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and we're swimming in that swimming in that ocean, experiencing all of it, and then we're able to give it out to even those who don't reciprocate. So, yeah. so there you go. That's the first part of Festus. First Thessalonians uh, abound in love, honor, and familial affection. Thanks for listening to the Baldy Bishops podcast. If you wish to get a hold of us, you can contact us at baldybishops at gmail.com or you can reach out to us on Facebook or Instagram. Hey, do you want to go get it okay? That sounds great. Let's go.